0: And welcome to episode 274 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor.
1: And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to
0: thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience in high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit
1: ServeNow.com to learn more. And we want to remind you that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever before... Knowing the right tools will make all the difference.
0: And as I'd like to say at the start of our recent podcast, actually all of them for 2020, what a difference another week or two makes. And the big changes just keep rolling along. In our last episode, we went all in, and I mean all in, on virtual reality and the Oculus Quest 2, which we both love. In this episode, we return to our big second brain project and bring you an update as we focus on a new part of the second brain. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode?
1: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be returning to our Second Brain project to give you an update on our progress and hit the next step in the process. In our second segment, and under the category Everything Old is New Again, we're going to discuss the latest new content sensation the email newsletter seriously. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, we want to give you an update on our second brain project. In the first two episodes, uh, we covered what we think is the first step to creating a second brain, and that is capturing the information that's important to you. If you want to catch up, if you haven't listened to those episodes or want to refresh your memory, go back and listen again to episodes 265 and episodes 268 of the podcast. But now it's time to cover the next step in the process, which is organization. How do we take what we've captured and organize it so that it's useful to us? So Dennis, uh, how do you want to uh, approach and divide up this segment?
0: I was just realizing time as you say that that the whole notion of organization is just really makes me anxious. I mean, it's like the most difficult for thing for me. So I'm thinking two parts here, and I'm not sure I have quite the right words, but I, I call one structure. And so that would be tagging, naming, files and folder conventions, you know, things things like that. So sort of the things that take place underneath what you're doing and uh, are maybe the structures that you put things into. And the second would be the interface. So what is actually the the interface or the tool that you use to access that information. So I w- when I was thinking of it earlier today, Tom, I was thinking that if you if you look at a document management tool, this to me is is sort of my analogy here, that we're you're doing documents and there are some things that are happening sort of underneath that document management tool when you create a new document. You know, so there's metadata, there's other things being captured, names, those sorts of things that happen and then you access those documents and so you find things and work with them in the actual document management tool so that that could be world docs net documents whatever so that's that's sort of the two two parts that i see so i don't know
1: does that make sense Oh, it does. No, it makes it makes perfect sense for me. I mean, first, I, I think that when you're selecting a way to organize it, you first have to decide how you like to organize your information, how you prefer it to be organized. And we're going to kind of get into a little bit of the details there in just a minute. And then... Once you've decided what you like, you have to find the interface or the tool, I guess those two words we'll use interchangeably, that best supports your view, that best supports the way that you like to organize that information. And I think we're going to talk about some of the options there as well. And then
0: I I would say the other thing I sometimes think about this is there's the invisible element and the visible element, or maybe even the automatic elements of things that just happen and then something that's more intentional, but I don't, I don't really want to dive too deep into that, but it's a way that people might start to, to think of, of these, these, two parts. So I think the first thing you always look to, and this goes back to the earliest days of of using computers or actually managing any kind of information because the metaphors are paper based, which is sort of folders, categories, and tags. And that's something I've always struggled with because I have a habit of falling out of those systems. And then the evolution of what I'm doing starts to make a lot of those systems less and less relevant. So it becomes harder and harder for me to find things and harder and harder to understand, you know, which folders, which tags and things to use. So we'll touch on this. So sort of in in my second brain notion, the tagging and a lot of these things should happen automatically. But we'll talk about that later. So I don't know, Tom, I, I always have... So my notion... Of if I went onto your computer, which you would never allow me to do, but I would, I, I just sort of picture that there would be all these folders that were neatly organized and and labeled, and you could find everything at the you know at the, the tips of your fingers with all these cool categories and tags. Is that so? I could be wrong on that, but sort of what's but what is your view of the files and folders in this this sort of structural layer?
1: So. In my line of work, information governance, when we talk to our clients about email, we kind of divide email users into two different categories. You're either a filer or you're a piler. You either like to have things organized into folders, or you just like to keep it all in the inbox and use that search tool or use the filter or use some other way to find that information. And I think that to a certain extent, we can divide most people with information management into one of those categories, at least preference-wise. You are correct. Uh, well, you are partially correct. I am a filer. I tend to think of things in a hierarchi- hierarchical fashion. I like to think of a place for everything, everything in its place. But here's the thing, and here's where I think figuring out what works best for you is where it gets hard, and, and where... I'm skeptical of your automatic approach. When you find a note that you wanna save, let's say that you find an article on a legal topic that is relevant to things you're working on right now. Do you save that note into a notebook with legal articles? Should it go into a notebook for the project that you're currently working on that relates to it? Should it go into a notebook with research that you might wanna go to to in the future because it might be relevant to a client's case in the future? Should it be all three? I might want to use it in so many different contexts. I think it's hard to know what what one precise place to put it. And so, frankly, I think that what you should be thinking about when deciding, you know, how you want to organize this information, one way to make that decision is the less you can predict how you're going to use the information, the more flexible the system you're going to need to organize it. The more you can predict how you're going to use it, the less flexible, the more organized that it can be. Now, as we're going to talk, I am kind of a Goldilocks kind of person. And I'm f- finding that I kind of like something in the middle there. And we'll talk about that at the, the end of this. And in the, the next the next podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about how I I work that. But I think that's really going to, to me, that's those are the things you have to think about when you're organizing thing is what use do you plan to make of it in the future and how do you want to get to it? And, and you have to be thinking about what future you is going to decide with this. And that's not always an easy, uh, an easy thing to guess at this point in time.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that so a couple things really resonate for me. There, time so one is oh my god, I I am a total piler as opposed to a filer, um, and then I think there is that that future you notion where that's that's where I start to stumble and you know and then how am I going and the idea of what is that future use going to be. So let me just give you a quick example. So this evening before the podcast, I I watched a great presentation on open source uh, software and actually the the maintenance aspect of open source that was uh, done by the Long Now Foundation. It was fabulous. And if I were going, but if I were going to file that or a reference to that, then I'm kind of thinking, well, does that go under? open source is a legal topic is it under open source software is it what i think will become an important topic for me in a couple years of maintenance or is it is it go into a file folder or under a potential class i might develop you know for for law school or some other things, and so I—that's where I really stumble because when I'm at the point where I want to file it, I feel like there are all those choices in front of me, and—and and we'll talk about the automatic thing, I, I think, in a little bit. But what—what what I found is that I end up with with the system that I've described in the script as thinly veiled chaos but <laughs> if, if you look at what i do i just decided the best thing for me to do is i i just have folders that that go by the year you know intense <laughs> and, and i everything that happens during the year i throw it in i used to have something i just called research and threw it in there and i'm like hey i'll just do things by year and i'll i'll do search over it uh, because i can't if, if I have to make a decision early on, I can't do that. It's, it's just become too difficult. And that's why I'm looking for something that would be automatic. And we talk about some of the approaches. I'll, I'll give some examples of there are tools that do this automatic tagging that I think will be helpful. So that's my current approach. I, I, you know, Tom, I, I am actually, and I think the audience will be interested in some of the things you've learned uh, You know, with your work in information governance and how that translates to your own approach because I know you would never advocate that anybody use this. system I'm using.
1: Well, I mean, if we're going to go to my to, to my business of information governance, I'm going to tell you that in general, Auto classification of information is still not there. It's still not where it needs to be. Um, we've had several clients who've developed their own auto classification tools that we came in and audit, and even after we said that we thought that it was reasonable, their legal department still said, "Nope, too many opportunities for false negatives or false positives." So we're we're not going to we're not going to adopt such a tool. And so I'm very interested in in this notion of automatic tagging that you have, and I really want to get into this. But you know, if if we look at my approach. You know, frankly... I'm not a very good organizer of information even though I organize my folders are or my my folders on my OneDrive are organized by by category and topic. I used to be a heavy Evernote user and I was mostly a heavy Evernote user just to grab anything that was important to me and put it in there. And I would put it I had a, probably a couple hundred of hundred notebooks. I would tag stuff, but to be real honest, I didn't really ever go back and use it. It was just kind of a in fact uh, when I when I moved to what is now my new tool, I, I wound up um, uh, not even keeping any of my Evernote stuff. I just got rid of all the Evernote stuff and and I started over completely from scratch, uh, which was how little I thought of my past uh, efforts at organization.
0: Yeah, so I think that. Sort of each path leads to its own s- set of frustrations, and so if I look at how I'd like to go forward, I'm intrigued by we're both experimenting with a tool called Raindrop.io, which is a a, a bookmark manager. And one of the things I like about it is that if I go to bookmark a page, it's sort of automatically suggesting some obvious tags for it, and I can just click on the ones that I like. So it's almost like a prompt, and I go, yeah, not exactly, but it's close enough, and it will will help me find something. And maybe over the long run, that will turn out to be useful to me. But it's um, the concept is that what it's giving me automatically is better than the nothing that I would do for myself. And so I sort of say, as we move forward with, you know, this sort of promise of machine learning and things like that, if those systems suggesting the tags uh, can do a better job of that, that's interesting. And then also in some ways, if they would do that without, making me click on the ones that I want and I would just go like hey I I think I can live with what they have I think that's helpful to me and it's taking that step where I have to make a decision sort of out of the loop cuz then I'm you know it's forcing me to say oh do I really want to save this bookmark because then I got to figure out how I organize it and I don't really want to do that I want to move more quickly so that's that's sort of one of the places I'm leaning and then I'm also trying to make that that infrastructure part of it, you know, like the file folders and systems and nested stuff. I would like to make that in- invisible
1: and not anything I have to think about or do much on. So I'm I'm intrigued here about Raindrop IO because. I use it as well. We both use it. It's it's my go-to bookmark manager now. And, and once again, I'm a total filer there because I put things into folders and I access them that way. But here's my question. So let's say that you look up three articles on machine learning that you want to look at. I'm really intrigued to know, does it, Is it always going to recommend tags that are similar so that you can tag them? Because what I worry about with that auto recommendation of tags that by the end of you know three months from now you'll have seven million tags because they come up with something different based on whatever they're reading on the page. And I don't, I I I will be, I may need to go and try it out myself to see is it suggesting common tags for common content? Because that's really what's going to be the magic for you is making sure that whatever it automatically does, it's It's accurate and it gives you the right tag every time.
0: Right. And I think it comes down to as we think about algorithms, machine learning, and those things, you just want to go, like, hey, at some point, you know, like, hey, LinkedIn. If you're suggesting these are people I might know or I might want to connect to, like I'm willing to trust your opinion. Hey, Amazon, if you say other people who bought this also bought this, that's fine. I'll, I'll look at it. That's that's helpful to me.
1: Yeah, but the different, but the difference is, is that with this information, you're going to need to come. Well, the the question is, are you going to be able to come back to this information when you need it? The same way that you might need to go back to that person on LinkedIn when you need that and say, I need somebody who is affiliated with X, Y, or Z. What does it, is is this the same value to you? Because it's like, I want to see everything on machine learning here. It is on this page or in this folder versus on LinkedIn. I want to see everybody who knows about machine learning and where are you going to find that? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's a way to search for that type of information, but to me, it's not immediately obvious.
0: Yeah, and so I think that you know, as you go to use, and that's that's sort of like the the end stage of the second brain, is you would like to say, okay, what when I go to turn this into what I will call work product for uh, is a good enough way to describe it for now, and I go, okay, I you know, like, let's say I tag a bunch of stuff open source, and then the decision I make is that I do want to develop a class on open source license law for, for law school, then what I would like to do is to say, um, let's do use that tagging to pull together everything to this smaller research folder that I know it's an acceptable trade off for me. If I can pull all that stuff together, then I can do some more sifting once I'm in there. And it's going to be kind of an overslice, and it won't be, and that's acceptable to me. Other people, it wouldn't be. You would want to say, like, no, I would want just the stuff that applies to the creation of class because I had put some thought into that earlier. So again, it's like the filer-piler sort of thing. So I'm like, I, no, when I go to use something, I'm comfortable with the over, over-resourcing it to say, okay, here are all these things, and I'm going to have to do some sifting at that point, but I can do a better job at that point. And so that, I think, gets us to – so to me, I think there is this interplay that we've been touching on between search and organize, and not to – To date ourselves, Tom, but I I think that it goes back to sort of Yahoo versus the search engines. So I think that you could have lived in the early days on the internet in the Yahoo world where everything was like really categorized and you could like you know go to exactly what you wanted and you know everything was was all neatly organized. Um, But there got to be too much stuff, and you just went to search. So I think I've I still. Feel there's too much stuff, even for me personally. So I'm uh, I lean toward the search side versus to say, oh, here's this nicely organized library, and I go pull the book off the shelf that I need.
1: And I obviously lead more, lean more towards the organized side, but I also and we will demonstrate when we talk about kind of the, 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 the interface and the tool that we've selected, I think that it is good to be flexible. So I think the system I'm going to choose is gonna have the best of both worlds. It's gonna have the possibility for organization, but also the capability of search that can get you if 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 the organization is not exactly what you want it to be but but so raindrop.io is a great tool but it's not going to be your second brain it's not going to serve as what that is so maybe it's time that we talk about some of the options some of the tools that you should consider when becoming your second brain, maybe talk some about some of the pros and cons of those tools and then maybe do a big reveal at the end of what we've chosen for each of our second brain interfaces. Do you want to get started with some of the tools? Do you want me to get started? How do you want to do this?
0: Yeah, why don't you start cuz you kind of uh, you think in terms of sort of three categories or three sort of Competing areas, and I'm I'm kind of I'd like to have you sketch that out because uh, I I think you have a interesting take on the nuances between those.
1: So yes, so and and I want to be very clear that we're talking about personal knowledge management here. There are tools that can be used for team knowledge management that are corporate wide that are law firm based, and these are none of these are what I would think of as being suitable for your firm practice, except under very interesting circumstances. So I, I do divide these up into three different sort of areas because I think that they all approach knowledge management and, and, and a second brain from different angles. So the first, I would say, are the straight, straightforward notebook apps, Evernote and OneNote. You're probably all used to using one of them. We've talked about them a ton on this uh, on this show before. I have been both an Evernote and a OneNote user. I enjoy using both of them. But they are a very straightforward organizational process. You create notes in notebooks. You can tag them with topics. It is not flexible at all. If you something belongs in multiple notebooks, you've got to make a copy to make it work. I'd, I'd rather have one version of the note acceptable uh, accessible in multiple places. And that's It's kind of a pain to organize that. It's just now that I've kind of looked at other things, I sort of feel like Evernote and OneNote are great, but they're very linear. They're very static in their organization. And they are basically for, like I said before, the people who uh, are more predictive in what you're going to need it for. If you know where you're going to need it and how you're going to want to use it, then a tool like Evernote or OneNote is for you. On the very opposite end of the spectrum here, I'm going to place some tools that I don't think we've talked about on this podcast before. One is called Rome Research, and the other is called Obsidian. They are similar tools uh, that work together. They're similar tools to in, in relationship to each other and how that they work. And I would say that they are the very opposite of organizational. Rome Research describes itself as a note-taking application for networked thought, and we want to talk. I want to talk real quick about what networked thought means in in this context. I think the idea is really great. It's designed to help you connect thoughts and group them together as they might be related and be in multiple places at once, which means that within a note, you can create links to other notes and move among and beyond them to see the connections between those notes. So let's go back to the example of the legal article that you found. Let's say you're doing research on a family law topic. You found five or 10 articles you want to keep. If you add those articles to Rome. You can just type in somewhere in that article, you can type in the right and I'll call it a tag, it can be a code, it can be a whatever you wanna call it. You can say it's uh, community property. Um, you can type it in at the top of each article and automatically another page is created with links to all the articles that you just added. So let's say six months from now, you're going back to, to write an article on community property for a bar journal. All you have to do is go to that one page and you can see everything really related to that topic. I think it's pretty amazing how it works, but I also have to admit that it is <laughs> extremely overwhelming and confusing to me because its I think it's so lacking in organization, it's basically opinionless on what you do with it. And so it's hard for me to really know what to do with it at all. The people who are using it are very smart people. I, am, I struggle to learn how to do it. And so in the end, I really want to learn about using Rome but I am going to go with a tool that I can best wrap my brain around and that's something with some level of organizational structure which leads to our last category where I think doesn't really belong in the Evernote OneNote category it's not really in the Rome research category and that's Notion. Notion is hard to describe because I think it can be a bunch of different things. You can use it for task management, project management. You can use it as a repository for documents. I think that could be a drawback that it is so many different things. But I think for my purpose, maybe, Dennis, for your purposes, I'm going to describe it as a place where you can save notes, take notes, and create databases that will link your notes to other areas and other databases. So you can create that level of network thought and this is why I don't understand why you like Notion, Dennis. Is it's more organizational. It's less. It's less. It's it's got more structure in it than something like Rome. To me, it's a good balance of organization with flexibility. I will talk more about this as we as we get to the next podcast. But I also can link to that information to other workspaces. I can organize it into workspaces if it's connected and relevant. It's all there to me. I think we're you're seeing where I'm headed with what my choice is, and that's my basic overview of those three tools. I'll shut up now. Dennis thoughts on those any further things to add
0: Yeah I mean I I think that for our listeners these are the three categories to think about and we're going to come to different places typically on these things and and sometimes for different reasons so I've used Evernote and OneNote for a long time I would just say something is is a little bit missing there for me cuz I've never it's never caught on for me I use it, um, I collect things in there. I typically don't pull stuff out of it in a way that's that's really useful to me. But they're great tools. And for certain uses, and I would say, OneNote especially, if you're doing legal research and those types of things, I could see it could be exactly the right tool. The Rome Research and Obsidian thing, and I thank Tom for not pointing out that I have an objection to Rome Research because their automated email note when I applied for the beta was just seemed really snotty to me. So I vowed never to use it. Something to think about when you do customer experience. I I think that makes sense if if I were doing a lot of academic research, you know, where I would call like footnoted articles and things. That's where I see. and, And then I'm taking a lot of notes. So for me, I joked around with Tom once where we were talking about this, and I pulled out notes from a call that I had made earlier that morning, and I said, here are my notes, and I actually read four words to him. So like note-taking, for me to use the Rome Obsidian you know, family of tools, I would have to have more discipline and a, a different approach to taking notes. So that would be the distinguisher. And then I come to Notion and what attracts me. And part of it is because of the potential, because there's a lot of development going on and there are templates and you can kind of plug things in to do certain things. So I like that. So there's a lot of action around it and it Activity. It's also uh, very visual to me. Then I'm going to talk about something in the way that you can connect things. And Tom described this. And I know some people who Who like notion who but they don't like my description i just it really seems like a wiki to me you know and has the advantages of a wiki with a more graphic approach and a more modular approach so i can see how i can connect things move things around rename things pull things together and so of the three choices, I like that. Uh, but I part of it is the visual. It's also, I, I think all of these, you can just think of them as cloud-based, so you can use them on whatever device you're on, which is another important factor. So that's how I see the pros and cons, Tom. And I think that probably there's some similarities in our approach, but I, I've sort of committed at this point to going with with Notion, although I'm going to explore Obsidian potentially as, as something I use, and I may use OneNote as a transition tool for certain things where there's not a way to pull things directly into, into Notion yet, but I would expect those to happen. I would say the one drawback about Notion that I've run into with some of my friends who are very graphic and do mind mapping and stuff is that you can't do the whiteboarding and stuff right now, but it's on the, um, the roadmap so, like I said, with Notion, you're kind of looking out a year or two to see what it will be. Uh, that's an important thing for me. I'd also say that the Rome and Obsidian, to me, feel really techy to me. You know, like you're talking about markup language and other things like that. So that could be difficult for, for some users.
1: Two things about that. One of the, what Dennis is talking about, that some of this stuff around mind mapping will be available, is is that until uh, un, until what is about to be very soon, Notion has lacked an API to connect with other apps, but its API is scheduled for release any day now is what we keep hearing. And so um, that's very exciting. I think that when they're able to plug into other apps, that's when we start to really see what's going to be interesting about it. In terms of difficulty, I would put it in between Evernote, OneNote, and uh, on on the easy side, and then I would put Rome Research and Obsidian on the hard side. I would say Notion is not... Dead simple to learn how to use, but it's also not really hard to use. It's it's I think probably part of it is it's there are so many different ways to use it that figuring out the best way for you is going to be what's what's important. Now we're we're going to go into a deep dive in part two of this organize topic that we've got so let's end the topic right now let's stop notion and very quickly any tips for our users on choosing an inter- interface I'm going to give two tips and then Dennis you can close out the segment I'll go back to what I said before when you're choosing the right interface to, to organize you need to think first about how do you plan to use the information you keep what are you going what is future you going to need to make of that inter- uh, that information do you need something that allows you to be more flexible in case there's a use for the information Information you don't know about yet, or are you okay with it being organized because you know exactly what's going to happen? I think that's going to guide your way on figuring out what the best interface for you to use is. Obviously happy to talk about it more if y'all want to give us a question for our B segment or just shoot us a message on Twitter or LinkedIn. Dennis?
0: Yeah, I think this uh, this is really jobs to be done stuff here is is important. So if you go back to our episode with Bob Mesta, where we really walk through that, but you really are thinking, okay, what are I what am I hiring these tools to do? Uh, what problem is the second brain going to resolve? I think your notion of future you is really important, and and then to kind of figure out how it's going to work in connection with the other things that you're using. So I think a lot of people could do really well um, as a starting tool with OneNote or Evernote, I think it'd be hard, as you said. I assess the difficulty in the, in the way that you do, uh, Tom. I would say if I'm doing academic work with lots of footnotes, I might gravitate toward the Rome Research Obsidian side. But Ocean, uh, Notion is kind of a nice middle ground for me right, right now. And I think we're at the point in our project time where we're looking to commit to some tools and I, this one feels comfortable to me and it's also i'm using it with a number of other people which is another thing that will sway your decision on all of these all of these tools because if you're using it with somebody else that is a big reason to give extra weight uh, to put extra weight on
1: And there you have it. We will be getting to work on using these tools more carefully and catch up with us in the next couple episodes. We will continue this discussion on Notion with part two of our series on organization. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a break for a quick message or two from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A-excellent by A.M. Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast.
0: Looking for a process server you can trust?
1: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. One of the hottest trends these days is, um, believe it or not,
0: for-pay email newsletters. So people are talking a lot about a platform called Substack and individual newsletter publishers making hundreds of thousands of dollars on paid email newsletters. So Email newsletter boom or bubble, Tom? What the heck is going on with this new trend? And what do you think of it, especially for me,
1: people like me who are trying to get email newsletters out of my inbox? So I would say first, I would be very interested to know the exact number of people who are making lots of money from something like Substack. I think there are people who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I want to say that that's a smaller group than are actually using the site. But I think there are two reasons why newsletters are so hot these days. And there's one implication for me, though, uh, anyway, which is, one, these days there are so many sources of information. Trying to get competition for eyeballs is hard. And I think that one it's all in twitter it's on blog it's in everywhere but one place where you i think you stand a better chance of capturing someone's attention is in email it's where they look they you can get their sole attention there where everywhere else there's noise but to do that you have to provide substantive good thoughtful content they people are smart they're not going to subscribe to thing that doesn't anything that doesn't have good content so i think we started seeing a lot of newsletters come out that that are kind of a revised source of information. And the ones I subscribe to are really good, thoughtful and have tons of content. The second reason I think we're seeing this, at least this year, is the economy. I see a ton of journalists who are leaving their media jobs and saying, I'm going to start a newsletter. I'm going to start charging people. At least three people I follow at various tech sites have left in the past few months and they have started their own pay newsletter. And by all intents, they, they're they being very popular. You know, using a site like Substack, you can create your own newsletter. You can charge people to read it. I have a free newsletter on there there. I don't think that what I, what I do on there is worth charging for people. And I think that a lot of people are starting to make some decent money. There are other tools, by the way, that, that do it, not just Substack. There's a tool called Ghost. There's a tool called Button Down. So Substack is not the only game in town. Um, but frankly, here are the implications. Here's what really worries me about it if <laughs> it's 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 difficult for me because it can be quite expensive to follow the writers that you like because I'm following you know I, I I found a group of productivity writers who have sort of grouped themselves together to offer five or six or seven different newsletters a week on productivity topics, I pay a flat $170 a year for that. And I really like the content, but I'm not sure I want to pay for any more newsletters to anybody else because that's, I st- it can start to get very expensive and it really start to add up. I sort of feel like this is the new streaming service because each newsletter you subscribe to, that's another 10 bucks a month that you're paying and it can all add up fast Dennis, where are you with newsletters?
0: Jeez, I you know I thought about doing my own paid newsletter for the last couple of years, and I just decided against it because I I don't like newsletters, email newsletters anymore. It seems like they're people just subscribe you, and then you're always having to clear out your inbox. Uh, you know, so the medium doesn't make sense to me anymore. So so that's part of it. There is all this content, and I think the email newsletters do offer this, uh, you know, in, in this whole big ocean of content. They do offer curation and aggregation that has its value. I'm not sure if, you know, like the $10 a month sort of thing makes sense as opposed to these sort of invisible or automatic micro payments, which might be a better model, but we don't have that as an option. So I think that's, that's tricky. I think that You know, there was so much, as we like to call it, fake news and all these other information. So you're looking for trusted sources. So it could be that this is a flash in the pan because of 2020 that these things kind of hit. I'm also surprised it's not video or audio that's become hot instead of uh, email newsletters. I guess the one thing that's sort of interesting to me is it does offer a way to support the people who you like, which you, you are doing, Tom. So which I think that's a good thing. Then also I think as you go to news sites, newspaper sites, and you hear, you know, all the, the media sites complaining that you know, people aren't paying attention to them. And you go to their site, and you get assaulted by their ads and all the other things that they do. There is something to be said for getting this email newsletter of content that you actually want where you don't have ads. And that has, you know, a certain value. And maybe that's, that is, that uh, is you know, from 4 to $10 a month or 2 to $10 a month. So I can see something there but it just sort of feels like the a, a bubble before we move past email into into other other media.
1: Well, so I want I just want to respond to that because I, I I'm not sure that this is a bubble. I think that and here's here's the reason why because what newsletters feel like to me are they feel like a way to put it is you're receiving a blog post directly to you. I really think that RSS has failed to really catch on among most people. I mean, most people aren't reading a newsreader to catch up on the news and read blog posts. So if you want to see what's happening on your favorite blog, receiving it by email may be the way to get it done. And so for that uh, that segment of the audience, getting it by email, and in my parting shot, I'm going to mention, you don't have to get them all by email. You can get them in different ways because email is a pain to have them in. But I really think that, I, I don't think that this is just of, of I, I, I what I'm worried more about is that somebody decides to Purchase a, t- a tool like Substack and then charge for everything. You know that's that that Spotify or Audible or somebody decides to purchase um, something like that and then charge for all of the newsletters that are in there and a subscription price for for maybe making it like the Netflix of of newsletters. I'm worried a little bit more about that happening because then the whole newsletter world goes crazy when that happens. But I'm more bullish on this at least for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, and I and I guess there is a concern that that it's going to be a tool that's um, seems like it's something that's going to support the independent writers and you know content producers like you and me, and it actually in turn drives us out. Yep. So I I think that is a huge danger. And the other point, you're you're right, Tom. I I just realized this that my experience of the internet, your experience is different than so many other people because. You're going, like, why Why would I want email when I can get RSS? And, you know, I shifted some of the email newsletters I wanted to read to actually get them in Feedly, which is my RSS reader. But I, I realized that for a huge percentage of people using the Internet, RSS is not anything that they use or under, understand. But it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second as podcast in. Tom, take it away.
1: Okay, I'm gonna continue this topic very quickly in uh, talking about newsletters by talking about some ways to consume them, not necessarily in email. Dennis already mentioned one of them. The Feedly app allows you to subscribe to newsletters and you can view them that way. I'm have not been satisfied with that because I've, I've not been able to make it work in a way that, that separates it from going through blog feeds and RSS feeds. It feels the same and I need it to be different the way I consume newsletters. Um for a time I was a subscriber to an email call, an email service called hey.com. We I may have mentioned it on the podcast before I ultimately left the email service but one of the very cool features they have is something called the feed and you can assign Emails to the feed that become sort of your, your news feed. And I put all of my newsletters in there and then all I had to do was just click a button and there they were and I could just read them one after the other, read all those newsletters. And it was very pleasant. I just wish I liked the rest of the email service better. But what I am using now is, a, is, a, is an app called Stoop, S-T-O-O-P. And what Stoop does is it gives you your own email at stoopinbox.com. You subscribe to the, your newsletters there and then they just show up and it's just a separate program for all of your newsletters so I can organize them by the the newsletters I get I can organize them chronologically it tells me how long they are to read them it provides them in a very nice ad free environment takes all of the ads out of the newsletters which is nice and it just makes for a much more pleasant uh, experience it's free to use but it's also got a freemium plan for like $30 a year so it's not terribly expensive but that's stoop.com I think it's either stoop or stoop inbox, I'll put the link in the show notes. Dennis.
0: So I want to mention my new project, uh, which is a a course on innovation skills leading to productization in law. And it's at www.exponential.legal. Check it out. See if it makes sense for you. And I also, uh, Tommy, we're talking and I'm not I'm not saying this is any of our friends who do this, but we're talking about something that we see in Zoom meetings and, you know, people do some some bad things in Zoom meetings that you read about. But the one that's kind of funniest is that you have people on Zoom and they're just showing like the very top of their head. In the camera, so it's like they don't even check <laughs> what what they look like, and it's it's comical. So I found this uh, this great little article by Sydney Butler on onlinetechtips com. It's called seven Zoom tests to perform before your next meeting. And there is just like a, it's a handy checklist of the things you you should do before a Zoom meeting, you know, just to make sure that you're set up the right way, that you're not on mute, those sorts of things. And it just makes you a better participant in any Zoom meeting that you're on. So really helpful set of tips.
1: And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or remember, we've got a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail so we can use your question for our B segment. That number is 720 four four one six eight two zero so until the next podcast i'm tom mile and i'm dennis kennedy and you've been listening to the kennedy
0: mile report a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus if you like what you heard today please rate us in apple podcasts and we'll see you next time for another episode of the kennedy mile report on the legal talk network thanks for listening to the kennedy mile report check out dennis and tom's book The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. Smart ways to work together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.